Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 5. You're reading verses 35 through 43. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took, the ch- he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered to the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which, trans- which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was twelve years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said that something should be given to her to eat. You may have noticed when you pulled into our back lot here at the church building, a big white cross that's down there, right? You know what I'm talking about, the big white cross? Well, near that white cross is a sewer access cover. And uh, the other day, a couple days ago, a bunch of trucks, the township was here, uh, you know, different workers. You could see they were... uh, having a conversation, and they were up to something, and they were putting this white powder down on this grass around the cross. I'm like, hmm, what is the township up to? What's this mysterious white powder that they're putting down? Well, then maybe like a day or two after that, our shower just completely gets stopped. Like, not not a little bit, like a full stop. Next thing you know, it's like it's up to your knees, and you're like, what is going on? Like, is Jess going bald? Am I going bald? Like, so you do what, what you're, what you do. You, you get some Drano, you, you know, you, you work, you work the process. Well, it seemed to be getting worse. So I called up a friend. They came over with a snake just to try to help get this demon clog out of our pipes. Like, it just, it was getting worse and worse. I don't know what to do. And so we had to, like, kind of just put a pause on it, move on with our, our day. It was, it was in the late afternoon, evening time anyways. So it's like the next day, we still need to clean out this shower drain. Like what's going on here? Well, then I noticed the, the toilet that's in that bathroom started to flush a little weird. And we all know the sound of our, our toilets, right? We're talking about toilets on Mother's Day. But you know, it's like that like little bug sound, like you know what a healthy flush sounds like. It's not doing that. And it's like, what is going on? And then I start to like peace. I'm like, okay, the township was out there messing with sewer stuff. There's something like, something wrong with the pipes. The toilet's acting up. So I'm like walking around the house. We're out on the front yard. Our front yard has a, what's called a clean out pipe. Or a vent of, of some sort. And, uh, there was, there was a big mess around that, and the front yard was all soggy. So I'm starting to put all of the puzzle pieces together. There's clearly some overflow. We found out from the township they were putting lime down. 
that yes, there was a grease clog somewhere in the system. Things got backed up. It backed up into us. Things, yeah, some sort of sewage obstruction was going on. And that was our Monday morning this past week. Okay. So Jess and I have jobs to do. And, and but, you know, Monday, like, our, our minds were flooded with, with questions. Is it a collapsed pipe? Do we need to dig up the yard? How much does that cost? You know? I'll, I'll use the number that, that Jess threw out there. She's like, is this going to be $40,000? I'm like, well, don't, don't, don't call that plumber. But seriously, you know, you're just kind of running through all of those questions, and it's like, is it safe to be in the house? Will it back up? Will, will, there, will it sewer gas? What, what's going on? I recently read that, that worry and distraction like to travel together. If you worry, then you're distracted. And if you're distracted, then it's really hard to be present. And I'll be honest, it was hard to be present on Monday. It was hard to stay focused. Working on this sermon, trying to put my notes and thoughts together, it was hard to stay focused. Because you get into it, and then your wife texts texts you and it's like, hey, is there any updates? No, we're still waiting. We, we don't know yet. But here's the thing. This whole situation became like a teacher for me. What will I learn as we go through this? Okay? This was an opportunity to test the, the, the discipling of my heart. Last week we considered uh, this definition of discipleship as moving from unbelief to belief about what is true of God and the gospel, believing what is true of God and the gospel in all areas of life. You see, we often have a theological understanding. We're in theological agreement with this theological proposition. It's all up there in our head, but then our heart is like tweaking out. <laughs> it's almost like our head and our heart speak two different languages. And perhaps discipleship is the the coming together of these two languages. We're, we're trying to create this, this hybrid, faithful language where head and heart are fluent and they're talking together and, and, and what we know and what we believe, it, it just all flows together. But here's the thing. Often our heads move way faster than our hearts. So let's just like slow way down. Let's slow down, let our hearts catch up, Let's just ask the simple yes or no questions. Okay. Is God sovereign? Yes or no. Okay. Is God in control? Yes or no. Will God be thwarted by a sewer obstruction? Yes or no. Right? It's like, no. Like, God is in control. God is sovereign. How will I live my life in light of that truth? Okay. This is what this sermon is about today. We say God is in control, but actually, so often, there's areas of our life where we, we, we live as if that, that is not true. We make this big theological claim, but yet it doesn't always show up well in our life, in, in the functional, everyday Christianity. And so if we want to move from unbelief to belief in all areas of life, we need to lean into the truth that God is great. That God is sovereign, that God is in control. And according to Jesus, the more that we lean into the truth, 
The truth sets us free. But you know how it is. Sometimes we're secretly like this. Well, God's all not that great. I don't fully trust him. Or actually, it's it's more like this. Like, eh, God needs my help in running the universe. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to power through my day. I'm going to power through this situation. I might be imitating, uh, 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 intimidating. I might be overbearing. Um, I might be filled to the brim with anxiety as I just like push through and master this day. But it's okay. I got this. Like so often that, that is like, that's the water that we want to drink from. There's a pastor, Dr. Tim Chester. He gives a great diagnostic statement. It's simple yet powerful. It's this. God is great. So we don't have to be in control. Let that just sink in for a moment. God is great. God is great. Therefore, I don't have to be in control. We don't have to be in control. The Bible is filled with stories and examples of of God's greatness and and power. In fact, a, a foundational story in the life of Israel is the Passover story where God powerfully shows up and rescues his people. God powerfully parts the waters of the Red Sea and the people pass through safely on dry ground. Baked into Israel's history and worship life is the remembrance not of only this powerful event, but also a powerful God. A powerful God is at the center of our worship, a great and almighty powerful God. Baked into Israel's worship life is this awesome God. For instance, check out Psalm 106, verses 8 to 10. This is how uh, a poet sings about it. God saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the sea and it dried up. He led them through the depths as, as through a, a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. God has the power and authority to rebuke the sea. God is great. God is powerful. We can also take a look at God's greatness through the doctrine of creation. Isaiah 40, uh, verse 12, talks talks about um, the the bigness of God. It gives a, a spatial metaphor that just really explodes our imagination of how big God is. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. Okay, anybody here like space? Like stars, a couple? Yeah, space. How big is the universe? Well, God holds up his hands and he marks off the edges of it. The width of space is the size of his hand. Again, a spatial metaphor. How big is God? God is big. God is great. God is infinite. And you know what? We are not. We are finite. An Old Testament character, Job, he had a lesson in finitude. We meet Job. He is wealthy. He is blameless. He is upright. If you know the story, a lot of suffering happens to Job. 
And then there's rounds and rounds of discussion with some friends as we go through a large portion of the book of Job. They're trying to hash out this suffering. They're trying to make sense of it. And then the discussion wraps up, and we really don't have any clear answers. And then finally, God shows up in the whirlwind in verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 38 of the book of Job. God shows up in the storm. And this is what God does. He, he sends Job on this overwhelming sightseeing trip of the whole universe. The wild and wonderful natural world is put on display. And from the whirlwind, God, he just powerfully runs through cosmology and meteorology and hydrology and animal farming and, and ornithology. That's birds. And more. He, he goes through this wonderful trip around the universe. God's sovereignty and authority shows up in a way that makes, makes it just not so human-centered. It's very apparent that humans are not designed to run the complexity of the universe. We are not the center of all things. Humans are finite. We're limited in knowledge. Chapter 40 of Job, God then asks, he says, okay, the one who's arguing with me, speak up. And then Job's like, you know, paraphrasing here, he's like, nah, I'm good. I spoke up once. I will not speak twice and make the same mistake. And he covers his mouth. Job is speechless and he's humbled before the great God of the universe. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways are my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my way is higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't know what God thinks other than what God has revealed to us. We are really foolish when we try to put God in a box. The mind of God are great. The, 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 the plans of God is great. Yes or no? Do we believe this? It is good news that God is the expert. And there are so many other uh, stories and passages we can pull from this morning uh, to talk about the sovereignty of God, the greatness of God. But what I want to do next, I want to go to the New Testament, and I want to hang out with a string of Jesus stories this morning. We're going to go to Mark chapter 4. Jesus has been teaching all day, teaching the crowds. It's been a long day of, of ministry. Sally, can you do the next slide for me? Thank you. Evening time comes, and Jesus is like, okay, it's time to call it quits. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they get into a boat, and they start to make their way across this really big lake that sometimes we call the Sea of Galilee. It's a really big lake, about 13, 14 miles from end to end. A furious squall comes up. You guys might know this story. Wind and the waves are crashing, getting louder. Water is splashing on the boat. The boat's getting swamped. They're trying to navigate these, these waves. They don't want to get rocked the wrong way. We don't want this boat to go down. Meanwhile, what's Jesus up to? He's in the back of the boat, isn't he? You guys know this story? He's sleeping on a pillow. 
Yeah? You know that nice comfort rocking provided by the wind and the waves? Yeah, he's, he's passed out. They go to Jesus. Rabbi, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He gets up, doesn't say a word to the disciples. What does he do? He rebukes the wind and the waves. Hmm, God rebuking the sea. Where have we heard this before? So the sea is calm, like glass. Now Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples, they're absolutely terrified of Jesus. And they ask a question. They're like, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now the author of Mark, and also in the Gospel of, of, of Matthew, they tell similar stories here. They don't give commentary. They don't give any answers. What happens is they move on to the next story. Mark just keeps rolling with the action. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And then we get to another story. They get to the other side of the lake. It's to the, to the region called the Gerasenes. It's a highly uh, Gentile territory, territory. And it's home to a demon-possessed man. And so uh, what we know is that there's a man, he's tormented by demons. Um, people have tried to chain him up, but he always finds a way to break free. Night and day, Mark says, among the tombs, in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Okay, this man is hurting, he is tormented, this man needs help. The people don't know what to do with him. Again, they tried to chain him up. This man, he sees Jesus from a distance. Thank you, Sally. He sees Jesus. He runs over and he falls down at Jesus' feet. Now, just a couple verses ago, the disciples were like, who is this? Who is this guy? But the tormented man, he, he knows. What do you want to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I swear to God, you won't torture me. So what happens in the story? Jesus does an exorcism. The demons beg for Jesus, hey, don't, don't send us away. Jesus gives them permission. Interesting word choice, right? Jesus is in control. He, he has the authority. He gives permission. And someday you can ask him more about this story. But Jesus releases the, the demons, they, they go to a herd of pigs, about 2,000 pigs, and the pigs are like, nope, and they run off the cliff and they drown into the sea. And then the man was restored, he's completely healed, he is completely fine and put back together, because that's what Jesus does. Now in this area, the, the herd of pigs would have represented like economic security, um, this is, uh, yeah, this is important to them. And it's lost. They have a restored individual, a member of the community, is now put back together. But they plead with Jesus, please leave. Like, we dismiss you, we don't want you, we reject you. Like, like please, can you just leave? Okay. Now sometimes really, really good and amazing things happen in our life. 
but we act like the people of the Gerasenes. We want to dismiss really good things because we're not in control. Because we think we could have done things differently. But wait, there's more. The stories roll on. Jesus and the disciples, they, they, they cross back over to the other side of the lake. And this time there's, there's a big crowd waiting there. And from here on out, the crowds are a part of the story. A synagogue leader named Jairus, he runs up to Jesus, cuts his way through the crowd. And, and again, he, 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 I think he falls down. If I'm remembering correctly, he, he falls down. Next slide, Sally. And he pleads to Jesus. He, he says to Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed. So that she can be free and alive. Like what faith? What he's willing to do to cut through the crowd to, to get to Jesus. And so Jesus is like, alright. Next slide, Sally. So the, Jesus is on his way and then there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. And she has suffered greatly from this chronic illness. It's caused her a lot of pain. She's gone to see doctors. In fact, like she is broke from trying to pay off all the medical bills. But she has this faith to reach out and touch Jesus. She says, if I can only just, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And so she reaches out in faith. And you know what? She is immediately healed. Twelve years of this ongoing illness is just completely taken away, just like that. Jesus felt the power had gone out from him. And he's like, who touched me? And so he's looking around, and, and finally he connects with, with the lady. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Mm, healing. Another example of great power. Restoration. Okay, back to the Jairus story. Trying to get to the daughter. This time they're intercepted by uh, men from the household. And they're like, it's too late. It's too late. She died. Jesus ignores all of that. He turns to Jairus. And he says this, don't be afraid, just believe. He makes his way to the household of Jairus. He grabs dad and mom and Peter, James and John. And he brings them into that room. And he says, Talitha Kum, which is translated as little girl. I say to you, get up. Immediately, the dead girl is raised to life. She stands up and she walks around. Jesus raised a girl to life. Okay, what are these stories doing here this morning? What are these stories up to? They're being told for a reason. Next slide, Sally. The invitation is to turn with believing hearts and minds, and see the great authority of Jesus. With great authority comes great power. Jesus has power over nature, 
power over the supernatural and evil, power over chronic illness, and yes, even power over death. So the invitation is to believe. Is God in control? Yes or no? Now, as a side note, if we were to continue on in the the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes home. He's in his hometown of Nazareth. And they reject Jesus. In fact, Mark 6, verse 6, Jesus was amazed at their lack of belief. It's an interesting juxtaposition there in Scripture. But what about you? How about you this morning? Do you believe? Do you believe that God is great? Now, I've spent time with you, some of you more recently, counseling sessions, phone calls, text messages, responding to emails. Some of you absolutely have absurd things going on in your life, hard things, challenging things that you're going through, like right now, just this week. To to say simply that God is great so that I don't have to be in control, that is not to be dismissive of the hard things you're going through. That is not to be, like, reductive. To just, like, again, like, God is great so I don't have to be in control and just kind of, like, wash it away. No. There's truth. It's profound. It is simple. There's a lot of mixture in life, a lot of good and bad. Humans have free will. There's a lot of mystery. But in faith, we proclaim God is in control. Ephesians 1.11 says that God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Jesus is the center and the accomplisher of God's will. And as Ephesians 3 points out, the gospel is restoring and bringing humanity back together. And the cross is the vehicle that God is driving to dismantle the evil, the death, the alienation, just everything that is just messed up in this world. God is and will bring reconciliation, harmony, and peace. And the invitation this morning is to believe that God will sort out everything that needs to be sorted out. The invitation is to believe that God will part the sea, that God will calm the sea, that God will send evil and drown it in the ocean. The invitation is to believe that God will bring physical and emotional and relational and Yeah, physical, relational, emotional, and all kinds of healing. The invitation is to believe that God will clean out our heads. He will clean out our hearts. The invitation is to believe that the God who breathes life into dirt is the same God who will breathe life into the dead. The invitation is to turn to God to repent of our efforts of being in control and believe in the good news that we're not in control, but he is. Today, next slide, Sally. We can also trust that God will remove the sewage of our life. 
Ah, yes. Let me, let me finish that story here this morning on this fine Mother's Day. So I'm, at, I'm in the front yard. I'm looking at the clean-out valve and a big mess and soggy front yard. And it's not, it doesn't look like good news. So I call a person on our building and property team. And they hook us up with a plumber, and they're like, hey, in late afternoon, a plumber will come. So this is early Monday morning. We have to wait throughout the whole day. And as I shared, it was a distracting day, but absolutely it was an opportunity to check in on the discipling of my heart. Later that day, a plumber came. He assembled a plunger. I won't get into all the the details, but essentially, in less than 30 minutes, he cleaned things out. He fixed it. It was... Actually, rather simple on, on the other side of it. You know, looking back, oh, that easy, huh? And it was not always that easy. That's probably why we worry and start thinking and running. We, we, you know, we just run through the list of things. I know some of you, you like to play, you know, Hollywood, catastrophe, writer, and <laughs> so on and so on. But, like, yeah, I, like, the plumber, like, it was so quick, actually. So quick. And like, hallelujah, went back into the house, flushed the toilet, showers draining, everything's back to normal. Hallelujah, amen, thank you, Jesus. But you know, today isn't just about trusting God with the weird and the unsettling and upsetting and frustrating things in life. Today is about trusting in God that he is great and we can trust God with everything. You know what happens when you take control? You fill your day with frustration, worry, busyness. Maybe you like to throw pity parties for yourself. Get out the old VHS tapes of your mind. Play those old movies from your past. Go on a guilt trip. Maybe you like to manipulate others. You get super critical and prickly. You keep score. Maybe you turn to substances. You overeat, undereat, get lazy, overexercise. You gaslight others. You look for people to blame. You look for people to bully. You like to create drama, whether whether you like to or not, but you do. You're in control. You can't stop yourself. You get self-righteous. You try to change others into the likeness of your image, and so on and so on. You know how it is when, when we try to take control of things. There are people in your life that you want to stress over, but I want you to hear this good news. God is great, and you don't need to be in control. There are circumstances in your life right now that you want to stress over. But hear the good news. God is great. You're not in control. There's this unknown thing called the future. You might want to stress over it. God is great. We don't have to be in control. And so right now, just as we close, I invite you to quiet your mind. Perhaps close your eyes if that's helpful for you. Say silent, silently to yourself. Speak to your heart. Preach to your heart right now. Your mind and heart. Just repeat after me. God is great, and I don't have to be in control.
God is great. I don't have to be in control. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't fall back into the yoke of unbelief, of not trusting God. God is great. We don't have to be in control. May the grace of our great God be with you all.